Cheers, y'all. Well, 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 well. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine little uh, program known all over the globe as the world famous Smoking and Toasting. Hi, Mom. Uh, nice to have you guys on board for show number for show. Thank you. I don't know whether that's the lag, Ian, or whether you were just, uh, you know, occupied there. But uh, I was a little behind. I'm trying to share this on Facebook right now, but I'm not finding the link. Oh, okay. Well, I, I did find it. So maybe go back and reload your Facebook app again, and, and you should be able yeah. to find it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's Smoking and Toasting, and we are very excited to be here and very excited to welcome. <laughs> For show number 182, our special guest, Dan Crow from uh, Glen Morangy. And uh, Dan, welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you on. And good to see you again, my friend. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, I am excited as hell to be uh, a part of this. <clears throat> uh, it's, I've been looking forward to chatting with you guys for quite some time. It's been a while uh, yes, since we've had a chance to hang out together in any capacity or even to chat. So this is uh, this is a, a very effective cure for my cabin fever right this minute. So thanks for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Well, as right. as we've been talking about uh, the um, the virtual drinking together experience, it's not quite as good as right. you know being there in the same room pouring things into each other's glasses and what have you. But I will say it's 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 a close second. And with that in mind. Let me take care of a couple of pieces of business here. First is that we are brought to you by uh, B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston. And in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, BB Italia on Memorial in Houston, BB Lemon on Washington Ave, the Annie Cafe and Bar on Post Oak Boulevard in Houston. And by the way, if you are in the greater Houston area, uh, my wife just showed me a thing about this today. Um, the uh, Annie Cafe and Bar is doing a special food truck version of their amazing food and stuff that's coming up. So go to their website and check it out because uh, they will be opening up a food truck. I, I don't think it's going to be open all the time, but it will be for a specific time and serving. She read me off the menu and I was like, oh my God, I've never had food truck food like that. That's going to be that's going to be spectacular. So uh, go to their uh, website. Just go to Google and search Annie Cafe and Bar and uh, you can find out the details and figure out how to become a part of it because you basically drive up and boom they give you the stuff so it's uh it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome thing so uh welcome in addition to um the sponsor information we were talking about you know getting together virtually and i wanted to pass along that we are doing our next smoking and toasting virtual smoke fest this saturday at 1 p.m central time and so what that will involve is we'll be on Zoom, and I'll pass that info on to you later on the show and exactly um, how to how to meet up with us. But it's the same login information and meeting ID as last time. And we'll all just be on Zoom smoking and drinking together. It'll be uh, it'll be a blast. So and we Yeah, we had a blast everyone, with it last time. Yeah, everyone and anyone who wants to be a part of this, you are invited and we would love to hang and, and smoke with you. So uh, this is show number one hundred and eighty two. Today, we are going to be exploring whiskey cask finishes uh, with uh, Dan Crowell. And this is Dan's idea, by the way. When we started talking about uh, trying to arrange to have Dan on the show today, he was the one that came up with this idea of why don't we explore cask finishes and explore several and, and try, to, uh, you know, try to do some different brands and see how they, 
you know, how they compare and contrast with the with the different kinds of finishes. So, uh, Ian, I see some bottles behind you. Maybe you could uh, maybe you could tell me where you're starting uh, once we get into it. Oh, I got this stuff. barrel full of fun here. Well, we were talking about different casks and stuff going on, and I am a huge fan of sherry cask finish on a uh, on a scotch. I think it's an absolute wonderful thing. So, therefore, I picked four sherry cask finishes out of my selection the classic uh, McAllen 12 uh, matured in sherry oak casks uh, we're probably all pretty familiar with this this is a standard as you can see it's not my first time to try it <laughs> uh, I brought the uh, Balvenie uh, 15 year uh, aged in sherry cask this is a particularly uh, okay, favorite, yeah. a particular favorite yeah. hello that's awesome yeah this is a particularly special bottle. My wife bought this one for me. This was, uh, uh, well, you won't be able to find this one anymore, but this is the Glendronic 17-year uh, uh, um, single cask, and this is, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, was that a limited time? Uh, is that, is that yeah. that's not available? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Then we got the last, uh, but not least, Arbalor Abunda, which I believe we've had on the show before. Um, and this is uh, this is matured in Spanish Oloroso Oloroso sherry butts, and that's a, also a rather classic uh, bottle right there. So that's what I brought today for tasting, along with a couple beers. Yes, and uh, we'll get to the beers in a moment. Uh, Dan, uh, what what are you looking to taste today? Well, <clears throat> I brought a few. What I wanted to do was to look at uh, how three different distilleries use three different uh, uh, sort of sherry uh, grades or classifications. Uh, so in the one case, I'm, I'm having a little bit of, uh, this is the 91 Glen Kinchy um, uh, Distillers Edition. It's, I don't know if you can see that label or not. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a 14-year-old product, uh, and if this sort of goes to Diage's general uh, uh, MO, uh, it'll see its last four to six months in Amontillado Sherry coming out of Glen Kinchy. So uh, that's one. Uh, Lowland, uh, Glen Kinchy's a kind of a surprising Lowland distillery. Lowlands have a, a, a reputation for being sort of uh, light and grassy and aperitifi. But the way that Glen Kinchy's made, and it is to a certain degree, but the way that Glen Kinchy's made kind of flies in the face of that a little bit with the use of warm tubs and really severely uh, descending uh, line arms off the spirit still. So that's one. Uh, two is an old favorite and an old friend of mine. The, uh, the, uh, the old, uh, the, very, the very old version of Glen, uh, this would now be Glamorgie La Santa. Uh, but prior to 2007, it would have looked like this. This is Glamorgy Sherry Wood Finish, uh, uh, bottled at 43 ABV. This was back when the only sherry cask used in that uh, in that bottling was Oloroso. Now, if you have a current bottle of uh, of La Santa, it would be a combination of Oloroso and PX sherry cask finishing. Uh, is so the juice the of, same? Uh, so it's not the same. You just answered the question. The, uh, yeah. the finish is different. Okay. Yeah, bottled at the same ABV, though. So 43 ABV on that one, just like today's uh, La Santa would be. And then uh, I was fortunate last year to visit uh, Bunahaven, and I picked up uh, uh, this. Uh, let me see if I can get it close enough for you. Mm. This is, uh, I had this bottle at the distillery for me. Uh, this is an 11-year-old uh, Palo Cartado finish 
uh, bottled at uh, 55.6 ABV. Uh, and this I just cracked. Uh, so I haven't had it since that day uh, in, in August of 2019 when I visited Benahaven. Uh, so wow. these, are, these are three different looks uh, from three different regions uh, from three, di three different distilleries using three different types of uh, sherry cask. So I'm really looking um, forward to digging in. By the way, Dan, I'll just mention we had uh, uh, Docs on last week, Greg Duxakis from Plantation Rum, uh, oh, and uh, he chose to uh, show off a little bit by setting his camera up in front of his wall of rums. <laughs> and uh, I've noticed that you've it, taken a more modest mighty. approach. It was Yeah. I've noticed you've taken a more modest approach. But I have a feeling you could probably wow us pretty pretty solidly. Well, it's uh, the way that they're stored is sort of in cupboards and such, so that it's not a super <laughs> impressive look. But there, yeah, there are a few bottles uh, hanging out. I went for the minimalist background this time, but uh, I like yeah, I've seen a few folks on Zoom and Skype and stuff with these massive collections behind them, and I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be going. He, he's not today. trying to compensate. That's what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be going port cast today. I'll be uh, nice. tasting the Dalmore uh, Portwood Reserve, which I believe, Ian, we have done this one on the show before. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I haven't been back to this bottle in a, in a good while, so it'll be interesting and fun to to see what that uh, what that tastes like, how it holds up in the uh, uh, in the tasting, and then um, this is a bottle that. Dan may have seen before. Uh, Ian, I know you've seen before. In fact, I think one of your visits to my house is the reason that the <laughs> line is not up here, but is instead uh, There's a good here. possibility of that. I, I had a bottle of that uh, uh, about a month ago. I did the bottle kill on that one. And then last week, <laughs> I killed my bottle of La Santa that I had because I had, uh, you know, just a little over two drinks left. And that made for a good evening. Oh, good. Well, the Quinta Raban I'm looking forward to because I already am quite familiar with that one. And the, this one I've never had. Uh, this one I got uh, especially for our tasting today. Uh, but it came highly recommended. This is the Arran, uh, mm. the uh, single malt scotch whiskey. I know you're really supposed to say the Arran, uh, <laughs> but I always feel like I, I sound kind of dorky when I do that. So, um, But this is their podcast. We've had, I believe, the 18, Ian, on the show before. Uh, but I have not tasted this at all. I, all I did was take the top off that, as you can see. And I often get accused, by the way, of, of bringing bottles to the show that are already used bottles. Water. Yes. Uh, but this one, as you can see by the top there, we've not been in this. So looking forward to that. What about beers, Ian? What are you, uh, you going to be tasting today? Uh, all right. So I found this, and I think that you would appreciate this. Mm -hmm. I saw it. The damn packaging was so cute. That's right. I used the word cute that I had to buy it. Oh. Yeah, it's the little snack by 11 Below. Uh, that's right. It's a Pilsner, right? <laughs> it is. A little snack Pilsner. Um, oh, I'll talk about it when we get to it. That's pretty fun. So I saw that. I thought it would be a lot of fun to try. I've been enjoying some of the more craft on the lighter side beers which you don't always see. And then just to uh, balance it off, because there are times when I need a beer that's over 9%, uh, I brought uh, North Coast Brewing, Brother Thelonious. There, uh, say that again, Ian. There are times when you need a beer over 9%. Would that be yes. the times that you're drinking beer? 
Is that that's right. That's right. When you're drinking a beer, that's one of those times where it's a good time to have a beer that's over nine percent. Well, um, so. I, went, uh, I, I did something a little different this time. I was thinking about. Oh yes, yeah, uh, it looks quite delicious. Um, I was thinking about how um, a lot of people are in the situation that they may not be able to um, get to their favorite beverage store as often as possible, and we do want to encourage you. Uh, to do that or to use any of the delivery services and keep some of our smaller craft breweries, you know, alive and, and kicking during this time. But if you are at the grocery store and uh, you're looking at what their choices are and you see this one, you might wonder, is that any good? And I don't know because I haven't had one, but we'll try it today. Stella Artois Midnight Lager. So this is Ooh. a black. Interesting. Now, of course, this is a AB InBev product, but I I promise to be fair and tell you if I like it or not. So, um, I do have a Stella Artois from time to time. Uh, it's not my favorite beer of that style, but it's it's one of those that if I'm out at a restaurant or something like that and and um, looking at the list, it can sometimes be the best thing on the list in terms of how my taste go. But I have not tried the black, so I'm looking forward to that. And then. Ian, I wish I had you here to share this one with me because uh, I'll also be tasting something that I saw for the first time and I'm very excited about. Uh, Rogue, the uh, brewery that does Dead Guy Ale. and they Oh, yeah. Do, I love uh, Dead Guy Ale. You know they that. Also, they also have a distillery uh, where they do the Rogue uh, whiskey. Um, they have come out with a hazy IPA called Bat Squatch. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll be explaining. Yeah, of course they did. So I'll be explaining exactly what Bat Squatch is and why they named it that uh, as we get into that one as well. So looking forward to all of that today. And uh, last but not least, Ian, uh, cigar time. What are you? Uh, what are you going to smoke for us today? Oh, I'm pretty excited about this one. This is the uh, Fuente Extra Añejo. And I haven't lit that up yet. I was just waiting to talk about it. I can't mm-hmm. wait to have this. This comes out of the top drawer in my humidor, uh, where all my uh, more special occasion cigars Your special go. Occasions, and I figured, yes. yes. Well, talking scotch with Dan, I figure that's as special as it gets. Oh. So here we are. We're about to light well, we this both, up. What did you bring today? We both went a little old school, and I will admit I've already lit mine. Um, it has new packaging since the last time I smoked one of these, but it has been a very long time since I uh, lit up a uh, Partagas Black. And this is the, mm. uh, if you haven't seen what the new um, band, newer bands look like on this, this originally had a band that looked like the classic Partagas band, except it was just a, uh, a black color instead of the usual Partagas. But Partagas has right. actually been repackaging all of their products, and so... Uh, this is what the black winds up looking like. Uh, this is the Toro, and it is uh, uh, the black label Magnifico uh, Toro. And the thing I noticed about this one, even before I lit it up, is how um, you know we often describe the pre-lights on cigars as being earthy, and this certainly had that. <clears throat> but this cigar, it's all, it almost smells like a more fermented earthiness than uh, than a lot of the uh, earthy. Cigars, but usually when I say earthy, it's almost like a, a almost like a soil kind of a yeah. very pleasant, rich soil kind of vibe. In this case, it it's earthiness in a way that makes it makes it really 
kind of emphasized. And of course, Maduro is um, fermented in a certain way, uh, but much more of a fermented uh, aroma than most Maduros. Um, when you light it up, you don't necessarily get that right off the bat, but I'm only about a half an inch in, into it here. And so I'll let you know. It is, uh, it's very pleasant, very easy to smoke, and I'm guessing it's going to run yeah, probably probably like a straight medium. But again, we'll let you know as, uh, as this goes. And it should be, I think, an interesting, um, an interesting thing to go along with the, with the port finish uh, stuff that I'll be trying. So, so that's, Dan, what, that's what I tried to choose. I also brought a backup just in case I finished that first cigar. And I brought this one solely to make mm. you jealous. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm 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 green with envy here. I don't know if you can tell because <laughs> of the, the the color the correction on Siri D but... number four. Yeah. All right. So we got so we both have a Partigas. That's uh, except yours comes from Cuba. So, um, so let me uh, ask you, Dan, and I do want to ask you some questions about um, you know the spirits industry and how what you do is is different uh, from you know maybe what it used to be um, or you know before quarantine time. But we'll get to that in a minute. Before we do, we've got a lot of tasting, so I thought maybe you could give us a recommendation. Would the best way to taste, uh, uh, you know, in doing these compare and contrast, would it be to go like one at a time, or should one of us taste all the way through our selections in in a in a straight line? I think uh, since we've all got some pretty contrasting whiskeys in front of each of us, uh, it might make sense. Uh, to do a well, um, that's a good question. Maybe one at a time would work a little bit better, just so that you're not necessarily bombarding your palates with a, with a bunch of stuff uh, simultaneously. Uh, so uh, I guess I'd recommend by the time you get to your second whiskey, you're just gonna uh, try to try to sort of freeze frame uh, how you felt about the first one. Hold on to that for a bit. Try the second one and then and chat through the uh, uh, the comparison and contrast notes flying through your head at any given time would be kind of my recommendation. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel differently though. Uh, we can certainly go. We can go say three at a time or, or whatever works best for you. But good. Uh, you know, let's let's do it that way. And and why don't you go ahead and get us started? We'll come back to some of the questions I mentioned. But let's uh, let's go ahead and get the tasting started. And Ian, you can figure out what you want to taste first, and you'll go next. All right. Um, I'm going to kick off with my Glenkinchy Distillers Edition. Uh, Lowland malts ha have a reputation for being a bit aperitifi, so I figured that's as good a place to start as any. Uh, my two uh, Highland, uh, well, my two mainland whiskeys, uh, Glenkinchy and Glamorgia, my two Glens, uh, of course, uh, two different regions, but uh, the same, uh, the same ABV. Glenkinchy is going to be a little bit older than the Glenmo. Uh, so I'm just going to throw a little bit of this back. This is going to be neat. Uh, and again, this one sees uh, not not as long a finish as the Glenmo does, but uh, a bit of finish in uh, Amontillado Sherry. So that's going to be not quite as oxidized as Oloroso, a little bit more oxidized than Palacartado, but on the dry, the dry to medium dry side of things. When I'm uh, when I'm trying to evaluate a whiskey based on uh, whether I think it has some sherry influence. Of course, I'm looking at color first, and because this is an Amontillado finish, the color isn't necessarily, I don't know how well you can see that light's not necessarily great, uh, but if I had to look at this blind, I might, not blind blind, but uh, not knowing what it is, I might 
vacillate a little bit between, well, this may have just seen a whole lot of time in X bourbon oak, or it may have seen a, uh, just a hit of sherry on the end. Then I'd go, then I'd go in, try to evaluate the nose in terms of looking for a nuttiness, looking for dried fruit characteristics, possibly looking for uh, tobacco and leather in uh, in progressively older expressions of whiskeys that have seen some uh, some time in sherry oak. So I'm just going to dive into the aromatics here and see what comes out. Some really interesting, some real mild, uh, like uh, lighter tobacco notes, not necessarily big old robust uh, cigar type uh, tobacco notes, but a, a nice light leaf uh, happening in there. Some, maybe even some dried cherry, uh, certainly a, a, some nuttiness going on, possibly a tiny bit of what might be referenced on the nose as a little bit of, of savory, uh, some honey happening. So I'm going to drop a little onto the palate and see what happens. And there it is. Um, the sherry notes are uh, a bit more pronounced here. What happens, and this is this can sometimes serve to confuse. It certainly uh, has served to confuse me many times in the past. Uh, the idea of restricting uh, uh, copper contact for distillate vapors, uh, either encouraging or restricting copper contact for distillate vapors. In this case, because the stills at Glenkinchy have the steeply descending line arms, and it's going it's going into a shell into uh, into a worm tub condenser. What they're looking for is to shorten up the conversation that the distillate vapors and the copper are having. So in the new make, that might show up as a direct sulfur reference. But once it's 14 years in a cask, and the, and at least partially, uh, that time would have been spent in a, in a Montiato sherry. The sulfur doesn't show up as sulfur anymore. It shows up as a sort of a like a, a coat tree for other interesting flavors. So <clears throat> the sulfur uh, evolves and fades, but forms the backdrop or the, the kind of the, uh, the peg wall of loads of different flavor characteristics, including those that come out of sherry cask. So this, this chewiness that's coming out of this, it's really quite good. Uh, chewiness happening here, uh, Demerara sugar going on. Uh, the nuttiness plays nicely. It's that, it's that savory, uh, slightly briny note it isn't. It isn't the the typical like aggressive, meaty characteristic that you'd that you'd typically expect to find in a worm tub condensed whiskey. But this is 14 years old, so that's had a chance to sort of evolve into a richer, deeper nuttiness. I thoroughly love this whiskey. I I haven't had it for a good year or so, and now I remember why I bought it. It's really good. Um, Ian, I don't know about you, but I have never felt so inadequate as a taster on a program. <laughs> As I feel now after Dan's <laughs> opening parlay, uh, I'm gonna just go. Just uh, I appreciate know. Dan. He's he's yeah, very yeah. thorough. Yes, uh, <laughs> thank uh, you. I'll just let you know my review will be something like, "Yeah, I'm getting some notes of wood and maybe some uh, cherry," and th th that'll be in contrast to what to what Dan just gave it. So, Dan, maybe you can jump in and supplement mine. Oh, sure. Yeah. Whiskey good. Whiskey good. <laughs> Um, by the way, as Ian's getting ready to do his, now that the drinking has begun, I do want to start a new uh, feature on the show, and it's called The Drinking Story. And what The Drinking Story is, is it will be a story that um, I've been able to come across, in this case, my wife forwarded this one to me, um, that actually has nothing to do with drinking, but is 
a story that's at least been reported by one of the news outlets and that's good to pass along while you were drinking. So, Ian, before you get started, you can kind of kind of check out your notes there and let me just pass along today's uh, smoking and toasting drinking story uh, from this last week from Washington. A woman's life was saved by her silicone breast implants after she was shot in the chest at close range while walking down a street in Toronto, according to doctors. The 30-year-old woman's left breast implant deflected the bullet away from her vital organs into the other breast implant, according to a study that was published last week in medical journals. Uh, the incident actually occurred in 2018, and it's one of only a handful of cases. So what that means is there are more than just this one where a woman was <laughs> saved by her breast implants and is the, believed to be the first involving silicone ones. So there's your drinking story, Ian, as a backdrop for, you know, I'm tasting. I'm absolutely flabbergasted by that. Uh, I don't know what to say. Except so for, uh, the, so this is, this is our classic Macallan 12 right here. This one comes in at 43%. On my nose, I pick up the, uh, the, the classic, the maltiness. There's a little bit of uh, what's really, I was, when I was listening to Dan talk, and he was, he was waxing quite poetic, I noticed something on my mind. The tobacco, when he mentioned the tobacco notes, uh, were very interesting. I thought, wow, I do smell a little bit of that. But I also smell a little almost tea leaf in here. Um, right there on the nose. There's some fruity uh, characteristics going on. There's no smoke, no um, none of the darker kind of flavors that I'm uh, that I would normally detect. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the tea leaf thing. Um, one of the things that I tend to run into in uh, in Glamorgy 18 uh, specifically, which sees uh, some of its life uh, in uh, Olorosa Sherry Cask is a distinct tea leaf note. Uh, and and uh, and oddly enough, the way that those two uh, distilleries produce their, their output is, is radically different. Uh, the, the still size and shape, uh, McAllen and Glamorgy are so completely different that if you go and tour uh, McAllen, uh, one of the things that they show you in one of the stations that the tourists stop and look at is the schematic of the McAllen still compared to the schematic of the uh, the Glamorgy still. Uh, so that they even use, uh, you know, what they do and what we do as, a, as an indicator of contrast. So it's interesting to me that that tea leaf thing that you could probably uh, ascribe to uh, extractives from uh, from the oak and from the residual sherry uh, in the Oloroso cask is playing out on your palate uh, in Macallan uh, the way that I think it probably would for me at least in part uh, with Lamorgi 18. Well, this uh, the the sherry cask finish on this, like uh, when you, especially on the retro hail after you take a sip. First off, this is a very uh, it's very quick on the palate. This comes in and, and clears the whole palate really fast. And then the, uh, the retro hail on this is just nothing but this great grapey, sherry, um, dark kind of fruit thing going on that I didn't get on the nose when I was uh, just uh, just smelling it. But the sure. tea leaf is very present at the very beginning of the uh, taste. And then you have this malt round profile right in the middle. 
you have a little snap of heat that goes on, and then everything clears out of the palate, and then you have that great uh, whiskey hug that comes right back. And then as you as you do that um, delicious and wonderful retrohale, and for those of you out there who don't know what the retrohale is, take a sip of a whiskey or um, a spirit, swallow, and then breathe gently out of your nose after you swallow, and you'll pick up, you know, another bunch of flavors that you may not have picked up in the initial uh, taste of it. And that's that's where this thing, I think, really shines, uh, other than just being a fantastic whiskey on its own. You know, you mentioned the uh, the tea leaf vibe. I'm getting a little of that, and I have not tried the whiskey yet, but getting a little bit of that just before the whiskey tasting out of this Partagas Black. It's uh, a little of that fermentation flavor that I mentioned uh, earlier is starting to come through, and a really distinct sweetness that I don't remember from when I tried one of these before, but it has been a very long time. So, uh, but there's definitely some some tea leaf, very rich kind of, uh, almost like a um, an oriental tea vibe uh, that comes through a little bit on this cigar. It's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm just sitting and thinking about you know uh, flavor sources and and where you might be able to track those down in terms of. Uh, where it physically came from, what part of the uh, maturation, either just fermentation, distillation, or maturation it showed up in, and how it evolved over the course of time. Of course, uh, tea leaves and tobacco plants and oak are all plants, and and plants share certain aromatic hydrocarbons as part of their uh, internal structure, uh, phenols and ketones and so on and so forth. So there's an, there is a natural sort of a, a tapestry being built there by uh, by breaking by broken down or progressively breaking down plant structures and either having them uh, be rendered into smoke or leached into distillate, but showing up on the palate nonetheless. Um, Dan, just a question. Did you, clearly you've got a, a pretty deep education on on uh, on whiskeys and, and flavors and, you know, the distillation process. Is this something you learned on the job? Did you, what, how do you train for this? Do you, are there classes that, Somebody who wants to do what you do can uh, can take to learn more. Yeah, um, there are programs. Definitely, uh, the most probably comprehensive uh, and uh, technically challenging one out there is the uh, uh, the IBD, the uh, the Institute of Brewing and Distilling program that starts with the GCD, the General Certificate in Distilling, moves into Diploma, uh, and then the third level is uh, is Master Whiskey. Uh, and those are I've, I've I've passed the GCD, but uh, diploma is an incredibly uh, rigorous uh, um, set of uh, of benchmarks that you've got to clear. Uh, and that and the IBD program is really built for people that are that are working in distilleries, uh, that are apprenticing as as uh, as master distillers and so on and so forth. So <laughs> after a certain point, you really do need to be working in a distillery. Uh, for the for the for the study and the practical uh, application of that study to line up and make it make sense. These yeah. folks that have just uh, in the last year or so launched the Council of Whiskey Masters out in California. Um, that program is actually turning out to be a pretty a pretty solid and rigorous uh, program for folks in the in the trade on my side of things on the education and advocacy side. So I'm working through that process right now with the Council of Whiskey Masters. Uh, 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 I've passed level one. I'm working on level two now. 
So, yeah, there are programs that you can pursue. Uh, you don't have to necessarily be in the industry on any given level. Uh, you can take you can take this stuff, uh, you know, as anyone uh, at any, you know, as a, as an enthusiast for the for the category or whatever. Uh, but Council of Whiskey Masters, I think, has done well. The uh, those guys at the uh, Stave and Thief Society, uh, the the um, Executive Bourbon Steward uh, session is a really good one for uh, for American whiskeys. Uh, so yeah, there are there are programs and structures that you can follow uh, to make the to to, to make the category. Uh, the the dissemination of the information, the the vital information within that category, and the enjoyment of that category, uh, more sort of enriching and thorough for sure. That's great. It so, it sounds really fascinating and kind of hard. <laughs> well, there is there's a bit of that. These are this is my uh, uh, this is my notes so far, and, and I don't know if you can see this, but this is my notes on on uh, this is my notebook for level two of. Uh, the the council of whiskey masters exam which i think is the first one was called certified uh, certified uh, scotch professionals so csp the next one will be um csw so certified specialist of whiskey uh and then the the third level will be uh, master of scotch and then the fourth level will be master of whiskey uh so they haven't actually the first master of scotch exam has yet to be administered it's that new uh so before all this stuff hit uh, it was scheduled for May of 2021, and I'm just trying to stay on schedule for that. Uh, and I don't know if that's been delayed or not, but that'll be, by the time that exam is administered, it's it's all uh, an oral exam uh, live in front of the, in front of the um, basically the board of directors for the Council of Whiskey Masters, which would include uh, the luminaries, uh, uh, Dave Broom, Charlie McLean, Lou Bryson. Uh, so, uh, you know, theoretically, I would have to stand in front of those guys and uh, at least attempt uh, to pretend that I know something <laughs> while not stammering and, and uh, choking uh, on my tongue and sweating through my clothes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see you having a problem. And, and by the way, just as far as your notes are concerned, those are way more detailed than my college notes. And look like they had a lot fewer doodles. Uh, uh, there's... Just, you know, it's an observation. <laughs> Right. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, study so, from home stuff. So I'm going Port Cask today and uh, opening with the uh, Dalmore Portwood Reserve. It's a Highland uh, single malt. It's uh, 46.5 ABV, and uh, they describe it as a special assemblage of whiskey uh, matured in American white oak ex-bourbon barrels, uh, which is then finessed by aged Tawny port pipes, which were hand-selected from the uh, W&J Graham's Vineyard in Portugal. And one of the first things I notice about it is from a color standpoint, uh, it, being uh, uh, being aged in the uh, American white oak ex-bourbon barrels, I don't know if that's where the color comes from, but this is definitely a deeper color, much more like uh, an American bourbon than most uh, single malts that you're going to see out of uh, uh uh, out of Scotland, so uh, it's definitely a deeper color. On the nose, I'm getting a, almost a bourbon vibe out of it, to be honest, on the nose, and there's definitely some coffee uh, in there. I haven't done a tasting yet, so uh, let me join you since I'm the last to enjoy the whiskey here. So. Mm. Wow. Um, and I have tasted this before, but I don't really remember 
that well what what I got out of it the last time around. Distinct um, bourbon and and coffee notes in there. There's some cherry, maybe a little bit of um, of dried fruit uh, on this, and even on the finish, even some orange, like orange peels zest Ooh, nice. uh, type of a vibe uh, comes through. So it's um, to be honest, it's it's a bit more complicated. You know how when you taste a a, a great single malt, sometimes you've got those one or two flavors that really are predominant and, and it's uh, the others are much more in the background. You have to really sit and, and, and kind of think through them. This one, you kind of get the flavors almost sort of all at once, uh, which is very interesting. Nice, uh, huh. nice whiskey hub. Um, a good 10, 15 seconds after. Um, but what's I think most interesting and maybe surprising for me was that, that orange zest, which I can still kind of get a little bit of uh, on my tongue. Um, Dan, when um, when the finish is done with uh, with tawny port pipes, um, what what's the reason for doing it that way as opposed to maybe uh, letting it rest in in a, a barrel that held port? Um, well, uh, if you are if you're sourcing uh, your cask, if your cask sourcing is coming from Portugal, then you're essentially going to be receiving one of two vessels. Uh, one of them is is the port pipe, which would be a 660-ish liter cask. If you saw one, if you were standing next to one, it'd stand about uh, five, uh, probably five feet high. It'd look a little bit more. I'm sure you've seen a sherry butt, uh, and sherry butts are pretty pudgy. A uh, port pipe looks like a big wooden cigar. It's a little bit wider than that, but it's more elongated than a sherry butt with a little bit more uh, internal volume. So you're either getting that, or you're getting um, barriques. You're getting 225 liter toasted French oak barriques out of Portugal, and they're, so they're using both. Uh, if this, and I'm guessing. If it was Graham's Tawny, I'm guessing it was uh, it was a traditional pipe. So if you're using a port pipe, you're going to obviously just like using sherry wood, you're looking to uh, you're looking to extract the, the evaporated residual solids that were embedded in the wood when the when the liquids when the alcohol and water content evaporated. Uh, so that's where at least some of that color is coming from. Those fruit, uh, those darker and richer and more intense fruit notes coming from that Tawny port cask. Uh, the reason that the, so Richard Patterson at uh, Dalmore, he wouldn't have left that whiskey entirely in port pipe the entire time because it would have been a little too extractive. And if it was if it was uh, French oak barrique, it might have been a little too tannic as well. So you're going to hit the front end, of the, uh, the extended front end of that with uh, ex-bourbon oak uh, as a more uh, using ex-bourbon oak more for what the bourbon took out than for what a specific bourbon left behind. So uh, an ex-bourbon oak cast still has a lot of uh, flavor element to it, just not quite so much as being imparted on straight bourbon or straight rye. So you're going to get you're going to get your the, the creamy uh, uh, toasted coconut, sea salt, caramel, vanilla, um, uh, honey notes out of ex-bourbon oak, uh, uh, an interest, uh, uh, a lovely rich roundness, but mm -hmm. not not too much extractive overlay uh so then richard's right. going to use that that tawny port pipe just as a as a as an ending overlay that's finishing in general just as an ending overlay 
as opposed to if you took like the the concept of McAllen 12, McAllen 12 is defined by uh, full maturation in Olorosa sherry cask. So the way that they create that distillate is on purpose meaty and sulfury so that in 12 years, the meaty sulfury, like I'd mentioned, becomes the coat rack for all of these very cool but uh, but rich and robust notes coming out of sherry wood. Uh, by contrast, if you tried to do that with Lamorgi distillate for full maturation in sherry, you'd lose the you'd lose the spirit essence to the wood. So Richard's really right. just trying to try to strike a balance between what the distillate brought, what the what the what the maturation and ex bourbon brought in terms of the natural progression of that distillate, and then what could be what kind of a um, an interesting brooch could be uh, pinned to its lapel uh, that comes out of the tawny port. Ian, do you see what I did there? By pulling Dan into my review, that was a great review of this, uh, of this, uh, honestly, that that's easily the best whiskey review I've ever done. So oh, I, I'm pretty you sure you just Huckleberry right. Finn him right into it. Uh, totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Ian, how is fun? Ian, how is the McAllen uh, working with your cigar? So I was going to bring this back up. The McAllen and the cigar are an interesting pair because I think my cigar. It, even though it's a Fuente, it's it's kind of on the bigger side of what Fuente makes, and I think my cigar is really pulling out that tea and uh, malt flavors in here. I get a little bit like, you know, you talked about, like, the more you taste it, the more things you pull out of it. So doing an immediate uh, review after the first sip is always an interesting thing, but after you've had a few sips, just reminding myself, I'm getting a lot more of that tea leaf. Um, so they kind of interact with each other. I'm getting a lot more tea leaf and dark fruit, uh, especially on the finish, and the oak is coming out nice. But it, it makes the cigar, like the cigar has an inherent chocolatiness, a little bit of pepper, and it has um, a lot of coffee to it. And it makes the cigar very coffee-oriented. Uh, it right. pulls out so like I don't get the sweetness of the cigar as much because of the whiskey, but it makes it a little more coffee oriented. They go very nicely together. I don't know that it would be my premium pick together, but they do go very nicely together. Um, and uh, and also the um, the finish of the cigar kind of picks up some of that tea leaf flavor, and that that's kind of interactive. So it's, so it makes for an interesting combination, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, it sounds really interesting, and I will say, even now that I've had a little cigar and gone back to the Dalmore, again, the flavors have really shifted on that as well. And the sweeter flavors are less pronounced, uh, but I am definitely still picking up the coffee and picking up a little of that, um, a little of that vanilla that you um, that you're likely to get from a bourbon. Uh, it's it's really quite good, uh, and I'm I will say. I'm enjoying this, uh, maybe it's the whiskey, but enjoying this uh, Particus Black much more than I remember enjoying the Black Label before. So, uh, cheers to Particus. Um, I'm, I'm going to move us forward here because we've got a lot to taste, and I'm going to go ahead and open my uh, Cella Artois Midnight Lager uh, Black. Ooh, very and, nice. Uh, so, I'm actually very curious about this because um, 
I don't know that I've ever tasted a Stella other than your regular uh, Stella. So, well, you can see I, I'll point out that the regular Stella, look at the color of that. Yeah, um, I'll point out that the regular coffee. Stella, if, if you're in a restaurant or uh, a bar that has only the usual suspects, but they do have Stella, that's the beer that I'll choose. If there's, I have a couple. If they don't have a Sam do... Adams, they don't have something else. You know, that's right. that's generally one of the ones I'll choose. I have a couple of friends that Stella's actually their go-to. They love that particular sort of Belgian flavor of uh, of Stella Artois, and, and they feel like it's a lot more flavorful than their, um, you know, than than most other you know sort of mainstream uh, beers. Look Macro at the on that thing. That's, yeah, yeah, that's pretty dark. Color. It's got a cola yeah. kind of color to it, almost. Well, uh, I will say on the nose, it doesn't smell anything like a regular Stella um, that has that uh, that sort of Stella bitterness uh, vibe going to it. It doesn't. I don't get any of that. It's uh... wow. It, Ian, this is almost like a. And then it's for version in a coffee tasting porter. It doesn't <laughs> have the same mouthfeel as the. It's got more of that lager mouthfeel, but it certainly uh, has got the, those deep, dark roasted notes. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, it's quite particularly. For a macro brew. And I believe this is a limited uh, that is not available. Uh, I don't know if it'll say that on the bottle or not. It's 5.4%. doesn't say that much. Uh, but listen, it's Just from this good. perspective, it's, it looks very carbonated, too. Uh, yes. More carbonation than you would expect from the porter as well, which influences the mouthfeel. But not more than you would expect from uh, a good lager. So... Mm -hmm. Impressive. Um, uh, that that definitely punched above the weight class I was expecting. To be honest with you, I was expecting something you know more in the lines of a Stella, but just with some of the darker flavors. Um, but that's uh, that's I, I got to say, pleasantly surprised on that one. Um, where are you headed, Ian? Beer wise. Well, I've got the Eleven Below. That's a oh, local yes. here in Houston. It's the Little Snack. I love the graphic. Yeah, the graphic just has a picture for uh, for uh, those of you who just listen to this and don't actually watch it, Josh. Uh, it has a lunchbox full with beer and then a sandwich that looks like it has two pieces of bread, a couple uh, bits of lettuce, and a couple beers in it. That's the right kind of lunchbox there. And this, exactly. is, a, this is a Pilsner at 4.5%, um, 11 Below Brewing. It says, have a snack, trash is whack. Sometimes you just need a little something to hold you over when a snack attack comes calling. With its clean German Pilsner malt and noble hop character, Little Snack was uh, built to crush your cravings in the heat of summer. It might be small, but it's a whole snack. So, <laughs> Love it. this to me seems like, as a, as a Pilsner... Oh, all right. that's... Yeah. Once again, Does that sound good? As a Pilsner, this is meant to be a lighter drinking. And they even say, you know, for summer. So, interestingly enough, I mean, it's got a great head on it. 
It's got classic straw-colored Pilsner color to it. It smells good. It smells like it smells like fresh beer. Uh, if if that makes any sense, it smells like fresh. Totally. You know that's. Have you ever? Uh, well, have you ever? You guys have all been in breweries. You know that 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 smell of all the hops and the and the barley and everything inside mm-hmm. of a brewery when you walk in. This yes. smells like that. That's what it, I mean. It smells like beer. It smells like beer is about to happen. Um, it's pretty well carbonated, as you can see. The carbonation is collecting on the bottom of the glass there and going up. Uh, it's not much on the nose. This tastes like this tastes like what I I believe Budweiser should should be. Like <laughs> if you took Budweiser to it. and made it a really really good beer. This, for all of you out there, if you like a Budweiser, I, especially if you're the kind of person who drinks Bud or Bud Light or, uh, you know, most of the macro brews, man, pick this up. Try a micro brew that is making a beer that's like that, only better with more flavor and more attitude. Mm-hmm. This, uh, the Noble Hops, Sam Adams, about 10 years ago, I think it was, Sam Adams put out a beer that was just called their Noble Pills. And it was a short run, and it was absolutely brilliant. It was all Noble Hops on it. And this has a lot of what I remember from that beer. Uh, This has a very solid malt character up front. It's not overly hoppy on on the back end, except for it's got enough hops to give it a super clean finish. This is absolutely perfect for rolling down the river, sitting outside. This is absolutely delicious, and I can't stop raving on it. I love it. I love it. It uh, looks you, fantastic. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Well, you are uh, checking out the Smoking and Toasting show. We're definitely going to go uh, a little long on time today because we got more tasting to do. So I hope you can hang with us. And uh, uh, as we uh, circle back around uh, to Dan, um, Dan, why don't you uh, go in with your next whiskey? So this will be, uh, let me just say, though, that uh, you guys are making me awful jealous. Uh, I have no beer in my house. So I drank the last one last night. And it, so I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a very strange place in my, in, in my reality right now that I'm, I'm having a bit of I'm super hard time coping. So when, when, when Dan goes to reach for a beer, what does Dan grab? What's, what's your go-to? Man, you know, it's funny. Uh, over the last few years, my tastes, you know, and what you're having there, my tastes have definitely gone towards um belgian wits uh traditional pilsners uh belgian farmhouse ales things like that uh, that i just find to be refreshing and bright uh, uh, if you spend a lot man and you guys you know you spend a lot of time around uh things that have robust palate presences cigars dark beers and whiskey mm-hmm. so uh i've found that especially you know you're on the road spend an entire day in in a market talking about whiskey drinking whiskey uh hanging out in the presence of whiskey a the very last thing you want at the end of that is a whiskey uh but b <laughs> uh the secondarily on the palate you're just looking for your palate to get a kind of a spa day to a certain degree so having right. that sort of citrus and ginger note that hits the palate, the cleanliness the light the light and brightness that you'd run into in beers like that 
I've just found myself, you know, in love the man, with them overall. One of the things that's like you started running through all the notes. One of the things that comes up in this is a little bit of a uh, bread, like a little. Uh, oh yeah. Little of that bread kind of yeasty wonderfulness. And I'll yep. just mention, Dan, one of the things we've discovered here on the show, and one of the reasons we like using our super high-tech uh, sound effects of beer opening, is that I've discovered, and I've discovered this by occasionally going back and watching an older show, if I'm not having a beer, at the moment when I hear that sound effect, like the one that Ian gave us there a moment ago, that beer opening, it is so Pavlovian. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll be pausing the show and going to get a beer. It's like, it's like <laughs> I'll be right back. That's yeah. the moment where it's the sound effect that does it. It's just so uh, so interesting. But anyway, back to the whiskey. Right, yes, and and how it looks in the glass. And it just sort of glows there in the glass and, and draws your, uh, your imagination oh, yes. into it. So I'm uh, moving on to, this is, uh, again, the uh, the old school Glamorange Sherry would finish. Make sure that I've got that in the right place. Uh, this is bottle of 43 ABV, sees its final two years, well, it saw its final two years in first fill Oloroso sherry casts after 10 years in a combination of first and second fill ex-bourbon oak. So before I before I grab that glass, I'm just, uh, I'm grabbing this Glen Kinchy and taking another aromatic off of it. And what this is, what's happening here is what I tend to find happens in sherry and whiskeys in particular, as as they oxidize the uh, the the honey and dried fruit, tends to evolve into sort of um, pancakes and syrup. It becomes a little more... Oh, you uh, said syrup, and I picked that up on mine, like, right when you said it. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of a, a, a Denny's short wow. stack yes. thing happening. Uh, and that tends to me to happen as a, as a sherried whiskey sits in the glass over, over the course of time. So I poured all these at the same time to try to keep some control group uh, element happening. So this one here in the Glamorangi glass uh, is indeed Glamorangi sherry wood finish. And just kind of pulling off of uh, thinking about how these two, the Glenkinchy here and the Glamorangi here, contrast with one another. The, the worm tub, the, the sulfury worm tub thing that I know was part of the production of this whiskey, but no longer tastes like sulfur. It just tastes like a, it tastes like the remnants of a savory, uh, deep richness are definitely there. Here, floral characteristics are coming up pretty aggressively, sort of almost like a eucalyptus note uh, coming off the nose. Nothing, nothing that to me would resemble a meatiness uh, or a, a sort of a, an umaminess, at least on the nose. Some really, oh man, that smells damn good. Uh, and this is getting into more of those, more of those sort of grape-like uh, aromatic essences. Uh, cake spices, uh, a little bit of uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, uh, cor- allspice. Light chocolate note, maybe. Drop some onto the palate and see what happens. Again, 43 ABV here. Oh, man. Uh, the uh, More of a nuttiness on the nose. Uh, uh, cashews and macadamias on the, on the nose. I mean, on the palate. Uh, the sweetness is, is balanced. By a a little bit, a little bit of a fatty note, uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a buttery note. This is sort of 
reminding me a lot of a really well-made pecan pie. So there's a there's a there's a pastry <laughs> note, there's a buttery note, there's a nougaty note happening, and a nuttiness in there. False spices. Uh, this is this is adding a whole lot of pumpkin pie or uh, pecan pie. But this would be if a pecan pie was a whiskey. This would be it. It's just, it's really, really <laughs> extraordinary. And it's been a while since I've had the old sherry wood. And of course, to be fair, this has been a bo- in a bottle that's been open for several years now. So, you know, if I had just cracked this, it might be a little bit different. The the headspace in the bottle has has had some effect on the on the uh, the vibrancy of the whiskey, certainly. But uh, I I couldn't be happier if I tried with this uh, with this glass of uh, Glamorgia sherry wood finish. Uh, Dan, uh, from your memories of the Nasanta, um, what what are the more distinct differences between this sort of previous version and the Lasanta in terms of the flavors? What ends up happening with with today's Lasanta, the PX delivers a, 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 what I think is a center palate apricot richness uh, that kind of runs right down sort of Main Street on the palate. This one, this one gets in there and scatters like cats all over the place. And uh, Lasanta does that pretty well too. It just is—it's sort of anchored to this this center palate ridgeline apricot sweetness, not like a cloying sweetness, but a, uh, a, a, a creamy fruitiness that the PX mm-hmm. delivers on the center palate. That this one—it's not that it lacks it; it's just more pronounced in today's Lasanta. That's that's excellent. I uh, he's I, really good at this. Have you noticed that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, Dan, can you just be on the show every week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just we'll just go. Let's do it. That'd be great. Good, and we'll just say whiskey good, and you can take it from there. You know, uh, a couple couple quick fun comments on the uh, on the comments section here. We got a uh, uh, wiki Brian commented. Anybody talk to Mister Twirly Gig since we've been in quarantine? I worry about him. You know, um, maybe uh, maybe Adam can uh, join in because he's actually in the studio taking care of these things. So, uh, Adam, if you're there, maybe you could bounce in and let us know. And Mr. Twirligig has okay. been in quarantine because he's stayed at the studio this entire time, right. as far as right. I know. He hasn't been out and about at all. I think he's, he's I, hunkering yeah. down. I'm sure he's, if he he's... did, he would have a face mask, and uh, it would oh. be that would be something to see, actually. Uh, <laughs> Ian, where are you going next, brother? <laughs> Well, you know, since we're doing three, I brought four. So I'm going to knock out the uh, Balvenie, which not for uh, Balvenie, not for any uh, other reason than uh, than uh, these other two are a little more unique uh, than the Balvenie. Um, and I thought it would be a little more fun. So the next one I have is the Glendronic. I can't give you that sound because my cork is broken. Oh, oh. My cork was broken until I brought the bottle out. Yeah. It's been a while since I've had this. This um, this particular bottle was a birthday present for my wife a few years back. And uh, and I've been <laughs> savoring this oh. and, and coveting it and keeping it like safe on my shelf because every sip of this is delicious. It absolutely coats the glass. Look how dark it is, too. It's crazy, like, for a scotch, how dark that is to me. Because a normal scotch is a little closer to this color, which I hope you can see is a little more straw-colored. 
little more pale yellow. And this is dark. This is dark and red um, to it. This has so many. You mentioned the savory earlier. This has so many of those complex savory notes. The, uh, the savoriness on this reminds me of, uh, of uh, Thanksgiving dinner, kind of savory. Ooh. All those spices in the air. Um, the, my mom makes... Uh, uh, makes a, a bread stuffing that has just Ooh. like butter and 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 all the different spices and everything she, everything she puts in it and this reminds me of that right off the bat it has uh it has a touch of that a touch to that tea leaf in there as well but a lot of fruity like this is way fruitier than the uh than the macallan that i tried earlier this is also at um Let's see, this one is at 55%. So we're going up in percent. I did line these up according to the percentage. So we got, this is going up a bit. So this one's pretty hot. I smell also like the dark cherry notes. Lots of wood, like the oak. Oak wood in this is huge. Mm. I love this whiskey. The the <laughs> palate on this, the honey, like I don't, I don't smell the honey as much. But man, when you take a sip of this, like it hits you with this beautiful malt and honey that that just and, and it's so oily that you can feel it just kind of expand in slow motion across your palate, and it just keeps going. The aftertaste on this lingers for about forever and it's absolutely delicious it's like uh it's it's like that thanksgiving dinner where you leave your fa your favorite thing for the last on the plate because that's the last thing you want to taste on your palate you know after you're done eating i don't know if that makes any mm -hmm. sense to anybody but me <laughs> yeah no totally um, the retro hail on this is fruit there's a there's a there's a sweetness to this that's it's a it's almost like a like a powdered sugar kind of sweetness going on the uh the dark fruit flavors are a little bitter right at the end but the sweetness just kind of rolls right through it while you're tasting that it's this is one of my one of my favorites i think i've had wow What's, that's, what's interesting is if you look at, yeah, uh, if you if you look at how Glendronic is made, uh, and you mentioned the color, uh, the the depth and the richness just in the pigmentation of it. Of course, that's going to be full maturation uh, in in that type of sherry cask. Uh, and now, when, yeah, it says Pedro Jimenez sherry punchin. Okay. On so here. that what is if, what, a punchin is a sort of cask, a type of it's cask. A, it's a specific size, right? And okay. and I'll, I'll get you the specific. And Pedro uh, Jimenez obviously is the, someone who makes it's, sherry. I take it. It's the it's the type of sherry. So uh, almost oh, okay. all almost all sherries are made from a single grape type called Palomino, Spanish uh, a Spanish varietal called Palomino, except for PX or Pedro Jimenez sherries, which are derived from. The grape of the same name. So uh, Pedro Jimenez is a is a Spanish grape varietal variety, uh, and the style of sherry that's produced from it 
is a bit like um, a combination of Amarone and uh, and Sauternes. So you have a certain amount of sun-driedness going on. So the, the PX grapes are harvested, and then they're sun-dried to intensify the, the bricks weight of the sugar content on the inside. So P And then PXs themselves tend to be aggressively oxidized as well. So they're quite dark brown, thick, and really quite sweet. So that's generally what you can expect from uh, from PX. And punchins, uh, let me see if I can find that somewhere. I forget what the interior volume of a punchin is, but it's uh, it's bigger than an ASB. It's bigger than a, um, it's bigger than a, um, oh, it's bigger than a hogshead, but smaller than a butt, um, if that makes any sense. And I, I'll, I'll look that up so that we're not, I'm not just talking straight out of my ass. But uh, yeah, punchin is a specific size of barrel. Well, that would explain what you what you just said. Would explain the big sweetness that happens on this. This doesn't really. It has some of the uh, some of the um, especially the aftertaste notes. It has somewhat similar with the Macallan, but and it has a little bit of that tea leaf kind of flavor up front. But it doesn't have as much uh, to do with it as not. Uh, you mentioned nuttiness earlier. This has. A minimal amount of nuttiness. It does have some of that tobacco flavor. Good. This one goes outstanding with the cigar that I'm having right now. Like they they form like Voltron. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you can actually get like when you go back to when you go back to the cigar, you can bring in some of those a uh, dark, uh, very bitter chocolate notes that are in the cigar. And uh, and that brings out a little more of the uh, the oak and astringency and the uh, aftertaste of the whiskey, and it really really marries nicely together. What so, happens at? Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead, Dan. Uh, what happens at Glendronic, which I think is really interesting, uh, is that they're they're aiming to put a spirit into the cask that can handle full maturation in sherry wood, whatever the sherry uh, choice and it is typically Oloroso. Uh, they do a couple of things that are really interesting. They'll they'll distill in really short stills. I'm looking at a picture of a Glendonic still right now, and it's it's quite a short still, but it's got a little bit of a reflux ball uh, before the swan's neck and a nice gradual. Uh, decline on the line arm into a shell and tube condenser, so they're looking to ex they're looking to shorten but then extend a little the the conversation between the copper and the spirit and their fermentation times are damned long between sixty and ninety hours on average. So the longer the fermentation time, the more generally uh, the development of uh, fruity notes uh, in the distillate itself. So you have you've got a, a, an interesting contrast between the, the fruitiness that you're mentioning on the palate that isn't that from the sound of it isn't derived from the cask and then that sort of married to the classic uh, PX sherry notes the, that that rich unctuous uh, sweet uh, oiliness on the palate it's yeah, a really yeah. cool it's a really cool way to make this, whiskey this has a big mouthfeel the other thing that keeps happening is as I'm sipping more and more of this it gets a grapiness on the aftertaste um Almost like a cognac does. Um, not quite as big, obviously, as a cognac, but you get a grapiness that, that you didn't get in the uh, last one quite as much. Sure. That makes sense. So, and because those those grapes are sun-dried, they'd be more intensified. Uh, the, the inherent flavor of the fruit would be more intensified in each of the PX grapes that would then become uh, PX sherry. 
Let me be honest. So, if I could afford it, I would put this in a little spray bottle and just wear it as cologne. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's probably good that you don't do that, uh, Ian, because I've got enough of a man crush on you already. And if you were to, <laughs> if you were to go there... And it would just you be... Know, yeah, it'd just no, be... No, officer, a, a, I haven't been drinking, but I smell delicious, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, with a fan favorite here, or a, a personal uh, favorite. So not a lot of surprises for me in this one, as you can tell by the um, you know by the amount that's left in the bottle. But this is, of course, the uh, Glenmorangie Quinta Raban, the 12 year, uh, aged in uh, port cask in ruby port casks. And I'm tempted to just say that and then say, "Okay, Dan, go." But uh, <laughs> I, will, I, I will say that on the nose. And I, I've taken some, a little more nose time with this because I was waiting to taste it until uh, you were done uh, talking about that, Ian. Um, so I've spent a little more time on the nose. And what I would have maybe initially just identified as a sort of a mintiness, the more time that I spend just uh, kind of uh, enjoying the aroma of this, it's almost like a dark chocolate mint, if that makes it. Have you, have you had a, uh, uh, like... A minty dark chocolate before, like some of those chocolate bars that you can buy in the uh, specialty stores and stuff. That I get a lot of that, and I get a woodiness that's that's um, that's a little hard for me to define. Obviously, you get you know the woodiness is not that uncommon uh, in a whiskey, but I almost want to say it's like a um, uh, even more like an incense woodiness, like a sandalwood or or something of that nature does any of that make sense to you Dan? absolutely yeah as a matter of fact you've kind of uh, stolen all my tasting notes i what i typically <laughs> do in terms of the 12 year kintaruban is is a solid chocolate mint sandalwood cedar uh, uh dark cherry uh and um Oh, golly, I'm missing at least one. Uh, some more false spices happening in there, but nothing really. Uh, Quinta, even when it was a 12, didn't necessarily remind me of dried fruits so much as dark fruits. Uh, mm -hmm. And for and for me, it kind of uh, it was a little bit of a um, an old fashioned in a glass. Uh, if you happen to drop a little bit of a like a blood orange uh, into a, into your Manhattan or into your old fashioned. You might have what comes across as, to me, Kintaruban. You've got an interesting astringent spiciness. You've got that that hallmark Glenmorangie citrus note, but it's darker and and more robust. Uh, plum is another one that jumps out of the glass at me with uh, Kinta 12. But then spot on where you were, uh, sandalwood, cedar, um, and uh, uh, mint and and cocoa for sure. You said you what said plum. And I was just trying to go with my memory of Kinto Ramon, which I finished about a month ago. And I always uh, thought prune, uh, just yeah. a tiny bit of that that prune kind of flavor, which is not too far from plum. Yep. Yep. And sure. Overall, yeah. Yep. One of the things and of course, that I think is. Uh, I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say uh, with with Ruby Port, like looking at that uh, as the as a contrast to your Dalmore Tawny. The color is going to be different, clearly. Uh, yeah. Ruby, yeah, Ruby Port. Yep, Ruby Port throws off a lot more of that sort of recognizable wine pigmentation, that more kind of garnety note. 
Whereas Tawny, of course, would actually, if you didn't know it was Tawny Port, it'd be easy to mistake the, the color visuals of that for Olorosa Sherry. So in what that case, things? it's going to change yeah. the, the fruit content as well. Yeah, there you go. Right. One of the things that's so enjoyable about this, and I remember this now from having had it before this experience as well, is that more so than than some others, and one of the reasons I love this so much is that when this gets on your palate, it's almost like it wraps itself around the palate. It, some some um, whiskeys kind of, they sit on the tongue or they impact the back of the palate. This almost feels like once you get it into your mouth, it just kind of like envelops you uh, yes. in a way that, that see, feels a little different uh, from some other whiskeys. And the retrohale on this is as enjoyable as just about anything that I've ever tasted. It's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And you're picking up these other notes and it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, some some orange or tangerine maybe mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. you get on the retrohale. Really, this is a wonderful whiskey. Dan, remind us, what's the cost uh, uh, generally on a, a bottle of you, if you were to buy what is now a, the 14-year-old Kinterubon in the green label, since the one that you have now is no longer in production, you'd be looking at just under $60 on the on the shelf, mm -hmm. 58 or so typically in retail. And that's a bottle of 46 ABV, by the way. And and well worth it. And, and maybe you could speak to the differences that the additional couple of years of aging have, have brought to it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that price for this is well, well worth it. Well, and and when, then the price stayed the same when the 14 was released, so it, it's the same price as the 12 was. I always uh, tell people, since I'm doing the sherry cask over here, uh, people ask me a lot of times, friends, family members, are like, uh, what's a good scotch? Just if I'm going to have one scotch on the shelf. And hands down is the Lasanta to me. Lasanta, <laughs> yeah. I think, is just... It's a beautiful, beautiful expression. It's a great price point. It's what sixty dollars, sixty to sixty-five dollars, I think. Um, it's typically or, slightly lower than that. It's usually uh, low fifties. Uh, it depends on where you buy it. Better, but. yeah, even better. And I find that it's one that I, uh, aside from finishing mine recently, I always have it on the shelf, and it's a go-to for me. It's it's such a good product. And I got to be honest, uh, the the Glenmorangie Ten. The original, I th think, is an outstanding uh, liquid right there. That's uh, delicious. By, by the way, it goes with any cigar that's in the medium to mild range. Uh, pairs incredibly well with that. So if you're an occasional scotch drinker and cigar smoker, or uh, a scotch drinker and an occasional cigar smoker, that's a great one to pair with anything on the light side. Now, the, the, the real super awesome pair that i found is that original glenn morangie and the um and the uh 10th anniversary perdomo like those two things mm -hmm. like i said earlier they form like voltron um yeah but you can pair that with so many things and the lasanta brings in you can actually go more into the medium range because the lasanta has a little fuller body overall and doesn't interrupt it and the Quinta yep. Raban, I find, um, I find more in the medium range of cigars as well. If you're doing pair, yeah. Dan, um, uh, we, I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead, and finish up. Oh, the, uh, the 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 point that you that you'd made there. I think 
uh, that are, first of all, I still talk to people all the time about the the Perdomo 10th anniversary champagne cigar and Glamorgie original pairing that we did on your show uh, as being sort of the quintessential pairing uh, that it's I've ever been exposed to. It's amazing. It's unbelievably yeah. good. It, and, and, it you know, really it's a, is. And, and a lighter whiskey, too. So, And it's a strong suggestion for anyone who is, for the first time, looking to try to figure out pairings of cigars and, and whiskey. There's almost nothing I would recommend to you more if you're trying that for the first time uh, than that pairing, the uh, Perdomo Champagne and that, uh, uh, and that whiskey. It's just, it's just such a perfect match, you know? It really is. Yeah. On every um, level. Ian, uh, let's jump back into our uh, final beer here. You might want to get yours ready while I... Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually a little worried to be honest with you, about the bat squatch, which is the, the bat uh, squatch. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, and I'm worried do, primarily. Do you want because, me to go first while you think about it? Well, uh, everything that I have had so far has worked so well together. And while uh, uh, anybody that watches the show regularly or listens knows, I'm a huge fan of IPAs. I'm really worried, uh, a bit worried about this being a palate wrecker, uh, for because. I'm I'm at such a wonderful place right now, enjoying what I've enjoyed. So yeah, maybe Ian, you go first. Why don't you? Because uh, I have a feeling what you're what you're bringing here is about to complement your palate perfectly. Well, so. so I knew we were going for. Well, I was doing sherry scotch, uh, sherry uh, finished scotch, and um, I knew we were doing cigars. So I picked a cigar that was going to match, you know, most of the scotches right off the bat. Because I don't, I obviously, while we're doing the show, I don't have time to just stop and go do a whiskey sniff on my whiskey cabinet in there. But I also picked a secondary beer that I knew would go with everything. And this this is a go-to for me. Like, when I want a big, full Belgian triple, uh, the Brother Thelonious Belgian-style Abbey Ale. I said triple. Abbey, sorry. Abbey Ale. Um, this is an absolute i was drinking this when they only had it in bombers and let me tell you a bomber at 9.4 percent for one person substantial um, yeah it says <laughs> it's got a picture of felonious monk on there and that's with permission from the monk estate by the way um who is by the way i i don't know if you listen to jazz i love felonious monk absolutely love love his music um, it ain't no Kenny G. <laughs> also, uh, a percentage of this uh, supports jazz ed education every time you buy this. Cool. So awesome. goes out to schools, and at the bottom of the bottle it says "Bottled Bebop." <laughs> nice, <I> love. <laughs> so all those things aside, yeah, all those things aside, all those things would make me buy this in the first place. But the taste of this beer. And this, again, 9% is pretty big. That Abbey Ale, you can see it's, hopefully you can get the yeah. color profile there. It's it's Almost red. Almost like a scotch ale in color. Yeah, very much, very much. Looks very much like a scotch ale. Um, and it's not overly, uh, overly carbonated. The, the nose on this is all fruits. I mean, it smells like like a slightly fermented fruit basket. 
in the best <laughs> way possible. Yes, like yes. You can, like, right off the bat, you get orange, you get, you get cherry, you get, oh, man, just so many little things in there that, what else am I getting out of that? There's a, there's that, that breadiness, there's the, it, it's hard to even describe how good this smells. You can smell the sweetness of it already. And the flavor is an absolute Belgian fruit bomb. It, it's so good across the palate. It comes across with nothing but like fruit, dried fruit, apricot I'm getting on there as well right now. Uh, and then it rolls across the tongue in the middle of the palate. It rolls across with all the and then it hits the back of the palate and you get this just snap of fruity goodness, uh, almost a tangy fruity goodness, like a, like a fruit roll-up, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then it leaves a little sweetness on the palate just to remember it by. It's like a little kiss going... Hi, remember me? And it's all gone. <laughs> and it just keeps doing that over and over again. It's not boozy, even at 9.5%. I don't find it boozy whatsoever. Ian, I'll it just tell you. Go ahead. I'm listening. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. It's, you know, that's one of the things about doing the show on Zoom is that it's, uh, it, the interruptions are a little bit weirder because there's a slight lag, but uh, yeah. I apologize. Go ahead. If you let it sit on your tongue for just a moment before you swallow, instead of just passing it through your palate, if you let it sit on your tongue, you get a little of the hoppiness and a little more of the bitter happening. And the bitter is, is like a bitter caramel on it. So there's... There's a few things, like if you just drink it, it drinks one way. If you let it sit on your tongue, you get a little more aftertaste, and a little more bitter caramel, a little more uh, uh, almost a, a woody kind of flavor to it, like wood chips. Like, like you know the smell of uh, fresh cut lumber? You mm -hmm. get a little bit of that kind of, which to me is a wonderful smell. And you get a little bit of that on your palate, and you get all this fruitiness passing. You know, I absolutely love this. And this, I truly predict is going to go amazing with the scotch and the uh, cigar. speaking of speaking of scotch uh, ian i was uh, i didn't mention this earlier but i wanted to say when you did your last whiskey you were mentioning that you bought it as a birthday present for your wife and it other way around but yeah of, uh, oh she bought it as a birthday present for you yes oh okay i thought you said you bought it as a birthday present for her because i was going to say that reminded me of the episode of the flintstones where Fred bought Wilma a bowling ball for her birthday. Yes. And, 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 she's, and she says, Fred, I, I don't bowl. I, I don't want the bowling ball. He's like, okay, fine. I'll use it. <laughs> so, that's good. Um, Dan, let's, let's move into our final uh, whiskey tasting here because I have decided, uh, you know, Rogue makes, uh, uh, Rogue Dead Guy Ale is one of the real treasures of beer. Um, oh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm expecting this bat squatch to be really good, but in the event that it is uh, a little strong in the hoppy bitterness, I really, I, I just can't bring myself to do that right now in the middle of this palate enjoyment that I'm having. 
with everything we've done so far. So I'm actually going to save this for next week. So, mm. um, uh, so let's go ne- uh, now to our final uh, uh, whiskey, Dan. What was your what was your final selection yeah. here? So I'm going to jump into a, a Brunehaven here in just a sec. I, I just went back to the Glen Kinchy, my first whiskey, and and did a quick retasting. And <clears throat> I'd mentioned before that it uh, that it had started to develop a little bit of a mapley note. Uh, the first thing that jumps out to me now in the in the first whiskey is uh, a sort of a dried fruit combined with uh, uh, really high quality, but secondhand pot smoke. Um, uh, really, <laughs> really interesting uh evolution of that whiskey in there and it kind of it kind of speaks to again that sort of meatiness of the of the base spirit itself uh but it's really it's it's such a pleasant it's such a pleasant aromatic um so anyway uh moving on to this is the uh, the Bunnahaven uh distillery bottled at the distillery 11 year finished in Palacortado cask again bottled at 55.6 ABV so Bunnahaven is a is a bit of an outlier in terms of uh, Isla whiskeys. The bulk of its output is is unpeated, and this is this is no exception. This is an unpeated whiskey. Um, <clears throat> they do some other things that are quite interesting. Uh, they ferment in wood, uh, but they distill in in some of the tallest stills in Scotland. Not the tallest. That, that, that honor goes to Glenmo, but uh, Bunahaven stills are are not a whole lot shorter than that. So the the copper conversation is actually quite long for the spirit as it moves through the system. So digging into this, uh, even from uh, from an aromatics perspective, um, oh, going back to that tea note, uh, there it is. There's that sort of tea leaf thing, and and, and I haven't cut this with water yet. The nose is uh, is black currant and tea leaf. Uh, some really as uh, some really interesting sort of seaside uh, bonfire on the beach without the smoke, just the sort of the the salinity of seawater kind of a thing. You know how oh. you can you can smell that you're getting to the beach before you get there, kind exactly. of thing. Exactly, yeah, it, it shows yeah. up with a little a uh, little minerality on the on the palate and a and a, and a distinctly sort of maritime uh, 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 presence aromatically. Oh man! And so there it is. Uh, let's see what happens on the palate. Wow! Wow! Now I remember why I bought this. Um, there's a uh, remarkable chewiness to it. Um, the the spiciness, and you would expect at fifty five six. The spiciness and the and the the alcohol prickle tank fills the mouth. It's um, it's it's creamy. It's it's velvety. It's luscious. Um, fudgy. There's a there's a kind of a fudgy thing ha- happening there. Not necessarily a straight a straight like cocoa or baking chocolate reference, but a but a baked sort of a, a fudginess about it. Um, some. Maybe even a little bit of walnut, like walnut to black walnut happening in there as well. Dried fruits, sure, some dried fruits happening, but it isn't it isn't like a typical Olorosa stamp of, of medjool dates. Uh, it doesn't necessarily carry that kind of that kind of luggage around with it. Uh, because it's 55.6, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it just a tiny bit to see what happens. And then jump back in. It's all viscous as hell in there. Ooh, dang! Um, uh, wow, 
that chain it switches up the the aromatics quite a lot uh shifting it more towards sort of the driftwood and, and seaside uh, elements oh bloody hell oh there's nothing um you know we were talking a little bit of, uh, a while back about what px might bring to the equation whether it's whether it's through the uh through the new lasanta or the one that we were that we were talking through earlier, that center palette ridgeline uh, apricot sweetness is not there. Uh, Palacartado is is going to be oxidized, so you're going to expect some of the nuttiness to show up, but the but the overt or enhanced sweetness level is certainly not there. This has tremendous depth to it. I I if I could, I would tell everybody to run right out and buy it, but you've got to go to the distillery. So go run. Uh, once the <laughs> once the global quarantine is lifted, run to Bernhaven and check it out. The distillery is being uh, renovated as we speak. Uh, loads of money getting dumped into that well-deserving uh, distillery that actually had been kind of falling around uh, around their uh, falling down around their ears for many years. Uh, Bernhaven is uh, is in the uh, in the process of rising from its own ashes. And I've always loved their whiskeys across the board, particularly the 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 uh, more aggressively matured ones. But this, at 11 years old, is a showstopper. Really, really, just a, a brilliant whiskey. Is this an expression that you tasted while you were yes. at the distillery, and then decided you had to have a bottle? Yep. Uh, yeah. So there, it's it just sits there. It's a distillery exclusive, uh, uh, cast drink distillery exclusive, uh, and so you you get a chance at the end of the tour to, uh, to try a few of the things that they have that are, that are distillery only bottlings or, and a bottled at bottle at the just bottle your own, uh, uh, quite a number of them actually. And this one, and there was one other that I own that I think is a, as a peated, uh, Bernhaven shot at me as being, uh, just really extraordinary. And I'm now remembering, uh, how much and why I fully fell in love with this whiskey. There's a tiny, tiny bit of a freshly struck match note, a little bit of a, a little bit of a sulfur note, not aggressive though. And it's probably more coming from the Policartado cast than it is from the distillate itself, but really just it's beautiful. Funny, it's funny you say that because who doesn't enjoy lighting a match and that, that light little that sulfur quick, smell. That quick yeah, hit. I, like, yep. We all kind of enjoy that. <laughs> it's, it's a secret obsession. It's still like the smell of gasoline to me, if I had to admit it. I love that smell, and I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but I always have uh, since I was a kid. I love the that slightest, smell. yeah, the slightest whiff of it because it has a sweetness to the smell and everything else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get too much of that. That's for sure. Some uh, great comments coming in on the uh, on the feed. Um, one uh, from uh, Wiki Brian who says that Dan is definitely upping. The alcohol review game. So thanks for that, uh, Dan. He also mentioned oh, in your last whiskey, you uh, you said it had a eucalyptus note, and he says I wouldn't know a eucalyptus note if it reached out and slapped me. Uh, and, it's a bit like uh, if you just buried your nose in a, in in potpourri. Uh, the 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 predominant scent in in most sort of traditional potpourris is is dried eucalyptus leaf. They look like. Um, they look like little wafers, basically, and they and they have a real distinct smell to them. I noticed that Brian also posted the size of a punch it, so thank you, Brian, for that. That's great. Yeah, yes. Um, also, uh, want to say hi to Trey Boring, our uh, resident uh, cigar legal expert here for the show, who's watching. Dude, that guy's awesome. Friend from, my good friend from school, Steve Richardson. Steve, what's up? I haven't talked to you in way too long. 
Um, there's also a comment here from uh, Bruce Stark who says, Ian, you should get a Lazy Susan for your table. So <laughs> Just turn the whole table? Might want to think about that while we're... As a table. Yeah, that'd be good. Mr. Twirly good. Then I'd yeah. have to wait uh, for my ashtray to come around so I could tip my cigar. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, Ian, where are you going for your final whiskey, brother? Final whiskey, I'm going to do the Avalor, the Abunda. And as far as I know, this is uh, the cast. Yeah. Bottle straight from the cast at 60.1%. So as you've noticed, I'm going bigger percentage each time. This one does not have a broken cork. So we're going to go. Oh. oh, very nice. <laughs> there we go. Let me grab one of my little lifters here. This one is not as dark as the uh, Glendronic, but I don't think like you'd have to get pretty extreme to get darker than that. This is darker than than normal though, and quite quite red, um, uh, more red than brown, I think. This one, this one has a smell like you know. This is like if you go. What does a good Scotch whiskey smell like? Mm -hmm. This has all of that. It has the fruity notes, big fruity notes. Like that's the first thing it hits. It's a dried fruit. Uh, it has dark cherry. It has a little raisin in there. Raisin or date, those are kind of two that are real similar that it's hard for me to kind of mm -hmm. tell the difference between the two. What I think it has, uh, you can smell the mineral, the minerality of the water that goes into it as well. There's a little on the nose of the, uh, the oak and a little of the char that you get from the oak, which I didn't detect in the other, um, on the nose and the other whiskeys, but this, you can smell that char just a little bit. Like, like, you know, uh, you know, if you've been camping and you wake up the next morning and that fire's, um, that fire's gone out, but you can smell the, the fire mm -hmm. pit, you can smell that char kind of from the fire pit. Sort of wonderful smoldery smell. Yeah. If you haven't been burning like, you know, crappy wood. This smells, and it has an oaky smell right off the right off the bat. Like all those things are jumping out at me, right from the top, along with the whole multi profile. I'm trying to get as good at this as Dan. By the way, I don't have as many adjectives. I think. <laughs> I was just going to uh, say, uh, Ian, when you were talking about that sort of pure Scotch uh, aroma, that makes me think of like uh, uh, like a just a good solid balvini that to me is like the when you when you do that on the nose that to me is what scotch smells like you know what i mean yeah 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 this uh on the first sip so first off i'm gonna point out that this is 60.1 percent and that heat uh you can taste that heat right off the bat not in an unpleasant way but it is there you know you're drinking a whiskey right there um it's a little thinner mouthfeel than you would expect from all those things but look at the oiliness if you can catch the oiliness on the glass i mean it mm -hmm. clings to the glass like crazy so so when you take a sip it hits you with that with that heat and that uh that that 
fruit and everything, and then it starts to spread across, and as it spreads across, the whole palate starts to pick up more of the woody notes that are going on in there. This has a little bit of smokiness to it that really makes me super happy as well. What are you doing? I don't know if you there got you that. Go. Right, but, uh, all right. Um, this is uh, the single malt from the Ooh. Isle of Arran. I'm looking forward to seeing what you think of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is their port cask finish. And by the way, uh, just as I'm pouring this, I want to put up this note because this Saturday, 1 p.m. Um, Central Time, we'll be doing our second Smoking and Toasting virtual smoke fest on Zoom. And so here is... Did we put up an invitation for that yet? Uh, no, but I will uh, this afternoon. And, All right. Uh, and then we'll we'll post the information on the Smoking and Toasting Facebook page. So you can come back there and find it. Or you can take a screenshot of this. If you're watching this, yes, take a screenshot right now so you have everything you need to get on there. We had a blast last the, week. There was a little, or two weeks ago, there was a little snafu in when it was happening. But uh, we've got this all locked up now. We're going to do the virtual <laughs> Cigar Fest again Saturday, 1 o'clock. And we're calling it Cigar Fest, but we certainly encourage you to bring something interesting to drink to your Zoom app and uh, and share that with us as well. So, And even if you don't you smoke cigars, if you want to just join us for a little if, chat and uh, drink something. Please do. Absolutely. And if you have um, a few bottles of whiskey, you can always uh, bring your bottles out, start your cigar, and then do a whiskey sniff. That's right. That, that would be fun, too. We can do a virtual whiskey sniff. So the uh, Aran uh, malt is a, uh, a single malt that uh, initially matures in traditional oak casks, and then it was selected by the master distiller at the Aran distillery to be finished in port, port wine casks that were selected from or sourced from, they, they just say, a prestigious producer of Portuguese fortified wine. So uh, they, don't, they don't tell us exactly where it comes from, although I wouldn't be surprised if Dan knows. Um, so, Ooh. Uh, I, I don't, I but I would like to. to. Didn't mean to put you on the spot, Dan. I'm sorry. Um, wow. This is, um, first of all, on the nose, it comes across a little stronger maybe than the last two that I've had uh, a little more of that sort of uh, intense uh, Scotch whiskey uh, uh, aroma to it, but still a lot of, a lot of fruitiness. I'm going to even say there's definitely honey, but I'm getting like a plum or date uh, sort of a vibe from the nose. Uh, very, very good on the nose. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's elevated my expectations a little on this one. So let me just give it a try here. Wow. It is velvety smooth. Maybe even uh, a little smoother than the, um, uh, than the Quinto Raban. It doesn't, it doesn't envelop the palate the same way that one does. Um, it's a little thinner on the mouthfeel, but um, the flavors are just so distinct honey i i mentioned it was on the nose is there there's even a little grapefruit um wow it's uh you know it's not as porky as the other two uh, i'm instead getting a little more citrus and um uh the the sort of dried fruit date uh vibe is there it's mm -hmm. 
it's maybe not as rich, but it's extremely flavorful. Extremely what? flavorful. Very can you remind me? Uh, can you remind me what that bottling strength was? I want to say it's fifty percent. Let me look okay. back again. Uh, it is fifty percent alcohol by volume. So fifty. Okay. Um, and it is. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any other information here. They say on the bottle, luscious flavors of hazelnut, strawberry jam, which mm. yes, I could pick up some of that in there. Um, Mandarin oranges and uh, a balance of flavor, they say, between the the port cask and the iron malt. It is definitely fruitier than the iron 18. Okay. Uh, and obviously from the port uh, finishing, you would maybe expect that. But um, it's definitely fruitier than that. But what I'm most surprised at is it's not just those darker port fruit kind of uh, flavors, the grapeiness and the and the date it's got it's got a really pleasant citrus uh to it that is uh more prominent than what i expected the um and i'm just looking at the color uh and it it looks if i had to guess i would i would guess uh that the finish isn't necessarily the longest finish in history uh, just maybe, just, it's a bit like what happens at Bovenny with twenty-one year Portwood. It's only a four. It's only a four-month finish at the end. Just looking to hit it with just a subtle shading, uh, and that one kind of strikes me as maybe the same, maybe the same concept. I couldn't tell you for sure. And I, I, I love what the guys at Aaron are doing, uh, but that one just based on what you're telling me and the visuals of it, I'd imagine that being a relatively short finish by finishing standards. Yeah, short to medium, definitely not as long as the first two. Um, and maybe maybe the reason I would describe it as short is it's a more dry finish, almost like a really, really good red wine. Yeah. Um, that, that just has that kind of shorter but very dry pleasantness to the finish. Um, that's, very cool. This is actually, and, and of course the keeps I've had before and, and the other, but this is definitely the most surprising. If you were to Say to me, um, here's three port cask uh, whiskeys. This would easily be the one I'm the most surprised by in terms of the way that it that it tastes and finish. And that's that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's right. it's absolutely delicious. Um, it really is. Does make it hard. I mean, easy to contrast with the others. Does make it hard to really pull out a favorite because mm-hmm. they've all got such a They've all got such a, uh, a rich difference to them. The first one sure. that I had, the Dalmore, uh, darker, more dark fruity. The Quinta doing that wonderful enveloping thing. And then this having this just really, really wonderful on-the-tongue taste to it that is uh, that is so pleasant. So, wow. Very nice. Uh, Ian, can you pick a favorite from what you tried today? I can. That Glendronic was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Glendronic and, uh, seventeen, and I've got, I've got this much left, and I don't think I'll ever have another bottle of it. And it's amazing, and I'm just going to covet that last little bit. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the special you, occasion. Now that you've been through all three of them, Dan, your favorite uh, from the day is there a favorite? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. These were so different, and I had a feeling they would be. They're so different from each other that it's that it's hard to that it's hard to choose a favorite. Um, the the Bunnhaven, I think, the Bunnhaven, I is probably one 
that is a standout to me, mostly because I was there when I picked it. So there's a there's a connection. Right. There's a there's a time. And I, I obviously I've got story. a connection to Glenmo, but but the you know the Bunahaven was my first visit to Bunahaven. It was a really nice day. We had a we had a blast. We had a about a thousand whiskeys when we were there, uh, and so when I had a chance to try this one, it was just kind of. It was just a mind scrambler, and I'm I'm just right back there um, uh, at Bunahaven in my head, uh, kind of drinking through this. So this one gets my nod. The other the other two are outstanding in their own way, and I forgot to mention you you had asked about the difference between Quinta 12 and 14, and I forgot to address that. The extra two years just lengthens the conversation. I think you'd even mentioned when you were tasting through the Quinta 12 that it sits in the center palate and it tells its story in the center palate, and that's kind of where its world lives. Uh, but uh, Kinta, Kinta 14 is a little bit, it's the same basic story told with a bit more patience and a couple extra chapters at the end. It's a, it's mm. a, be- a beautiful dram. Uh, and, and the Kinta 12 was my favorite of our finishes. The Kinta 14 uh, to me is not a, not a quantum leap by any means, but a, a, uh, a surface of the moon size step in an, ex- in an extraordinarily right direction. Uh, Dan, before we wrap up today, uh, I wanted to ask you, we've, we've talked a bit about it, this on the show uh, in past weeks, that the craft beer industry is facing perhaps its largest challenge so far because so many of the, um, so much of the advancements that the craft beer industry has made in the last year to two years have been the opening of these wonderful, very boutique smaller um, uh, breweries that do the majority of their business either from people coming and drinking there or from maybe being in a few bars in the neighborhood or uh, from people coming to the, the brewery and, and taking some home with them. Obviously, a lot of that is shut down. All of the bars are shut down. Uh, all of the uh, breweries are, are shut down in terms of being able to go sit there and enjoy uh, some different beers. And they're I've seen numbers this last week that estimate the lowest number, I think, was 48% of them may not make it if they're shut down for more than about three more weeks. And the numbers climb from there to as high as like 70-something percent. Um, My sense is that the spirit industry is not being impacted in nearly as dire a way, but I thought maybe you could... Thought maybe you could speak to that a little bit based on yeah. your perspective. Um, and I think it's probably uh, analogous to what's happening in the uh, craft beer industry. The the bigger the producer, the the more they're able to absorb what's going on currently. Uh, and so you're going to definitely across the globe in terms of craft distillation, you're going to see some some real uh, unfortunately some uh, it's going to get decimated in some in some pretty tragic ways, um, particularly. Uh, small producers, small producers in the in the EU or in the UK, who are, are trying to get their their goods into the US uh, in uh, really uncertain economic times, and paying the uh, you know and having to pass on the tariff uh, on top of that are really I mean it, you know what's happening with Glamorgan juice is there's still no today's shelf price is still not reflective of of the of the US import tariff. It will be someday, but for now, it's a big enough company that 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 cost has not been passed on. With smaller companies that cannot uh, cannot absorb that, 
they're they're already dealing with smaller operations with smaller operating budgets with with uh, with not quite as deep a pockets, uh, and they're not publicly traded. So on the plus side, they they don't have those people to keep happy, but they also don't have the financial resources to absorb things like this. So globally, I think you're going to see you're going to see some real attrition uh, kick in. Uh, domestically, in terms of uh, American craft uh, distillers, there are going to be some closures, unfortunately, for sure. And I think that's probably going to run into you know thirty percent of of the folks uh, in in the micro distilling subculture of distillation uh, here in the U.S. will probably have to shutter uh, permanently, or at least for a long period of time, or or, or you know get bought out or or sold or sell off their maturing product or whatever it is that they've got to do. Uh, but what we've seen so far in terms of consumption is that there's still there's quite a lot of demand uh, in the off-premise side of things, whether that's um, uh, in states where it's legal selling distilled spirits to grocery stores. Uh, uh, certainly uh, what we've seen uh, and I think what other suppliers around the country have seen uh, is a is a fairly significant uptick in um, in e-trade and and home delivery. Uh, so the kinds of things, the the kinds of uh, bumps that we're seeing from the Drizzly app and so on and so forth, uh, have been really really encouraging. And you know we were talking before the show about how this is really uh, not a golden age, but it's certainly a sea change in how whiskey is marketed, how whiskey is purchased even. And I think when we get past this and and you know return to whatever the new normal is, this will there's a, there are chunks of this that will stay with us. The viability of e-commerce. Yes. The viability of home delivery, and, I, and not that it favors distilled spirits, but distilled spirits are, are more shelf stable. You don't you don't have to worry so much about stock rotation and so on and so forth, uh, and you can deliver them in the back of a fiat or whatever, and it doesn't matter. Uh, so we're I, I think the distilled spirits industry is a bit more robust than the than the fermented beverages industry is in in terms of uh, global recessions and 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 this sort of um, uh, uh, global quarantine stuff, but there will still be. Uh, some, some, unfortunately, some, uh, some producers, uh, distillers, and producers that just don't survive it. Uh, we want to encourage anyone to, um, if you have the opportunity, to support some of the small guys, whether it's on the spirit side, Absolutely. or particularly when it comes to craft beer. If you are at a Specs or a Total Wine or wherever you shop, and you are picking up, you know, some uh, some beers. Um, we want to encourage you. This is a great time to not go with not only the the you know the macro brews, but if you are aware that a particular um, craft brewery is owned by a macro brewery, we call it macro craft. Um, this is a good time to not buy those. Those guys are going to be okay. They're going to make it, even if you yeah. like their beer and and have no issue supporting them. Yeah. This is a good time to support someone that you know is truly independent because those are the guys that need your help the most in there's, through this time. There's a lot of breweries now that are doing uh, like a drive-through service. You just, you, yes. can, you can order it, pre-order it, you can call, you can tell them what you want, or you can drive up and say hi like this. They'll bring it out to you. They'll put it in your car. All you got to do is drive by them. Uh, a lot of breweries yes. here in Houston are doing that. There's also, mm -hmm. I want to point out, like the restaurant business uh, is doing a lot of what I 
I, I dubbed last week the Take and Shake, where if you want a good mixed drink and you good. don't have a whole lot of, uh, like, if you don't have a whole lot of a bar at your house, you can go get all the ingredients for what I call a Take and Shake, where they give you everything you need for the mixed drink that you want, and you take it home. And you just combine the ingredients, shake it up, and there you go. You've got your uh, your whatever you're looking for, your old-fashioned, your Manhattan, your like, whatever you want. And and you're an instant cocktail master. You can say to someone, look what I made. Exactly. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's speaking right. speaking uh, of shout-outs, the, the thing that I was going to bring up about the small distillers is that you're seeing loads of them around the world, and, and particularly here in the U.S., that have been uh, switching their production to hand sanitizer, and and yes. you know even and some of them won't survive this, and then donating it. So you know, to, to a massive shout out to these people who are you know who may be financially circling the drain, but still uh, stepping up and responding to that call. So you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of uh, no pun intended, but a tremendous amount of spirit uh, in in the microdistilling community, and and I'm you know on behalf of uh, of everybody who's who's uh, you know dealing with all of this uh quarantine stuff they, they just can't be thanked enough for what they've done in terms yeah. of trying to trying to make you know make sanitizer and 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 keep uh, keep everybody out there more safe particularly first responders so you know kudos to those guys well there's a lot yeah. of people like uh, uh whitmire's here in town has donated thousands of gallons thousands and thousands of gallons and here's what's going to happen is uh, they're, you know, not that much financially viable than anybody else, but they're going to need you to buy their product as well. So exactly. those guys are donating out of their pocket. They're not asking for you to, to, to come out and just buy their stuff. But if you go buy, uh, if you go buy one of the places and get a free bottle of hand sanitizer, like a lot of them are doing, or, uh, or you have a distillery in the neighborhood, this is, yeah, it's a perfect time to jump in yeah. and support those guys. Absolutely. It really is. So, um, Dan, I want to thank you for making oh. the show so viable today. Uh, yeah. Bringing us, uh, you know, such a great uh, perspective on these whiskeys. We've not done <coughs> this kind of a tasting before, and I've I, I really enjoyed it. And I I feel like I know a whole lot more about, uh, about tasting and about... Uh, the various kinds of casks and the way that the different distillers use them and, and, and what the results are from the show today. So very educational show. And I want to thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today and being a part of it. And um, thank you to everyone who has been a part of, I think we may have lost Ian right at the end. Oh, there he is. Ian, you're back just in time to toast us out, my friend. Um, thank you uh, again, Dan, for being on the program and we'll be back next problem. week. And don't forget to join our, virtual smoke fest on saturday at 1 p.m central time uh, the info will be on our facebook page and we'll look forward to having you there so um i uh, appreciate everyone for hanging with us for a, a fun show today thank you and ian if you can grab something to toast us out with we'll just say cheers thank you so much Great, baby. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.